God's Love Language, a podcast designed for Christian discipleship with emphasis on developing our relationship and fellowship with God. Now, here is our host, Joe Enlow. Thank you for that introduction. Welcome back to God's Love Language with Joe and Lo. I am Joe, and thank you for choosing our podcast. This is a day discipleship, a discipleship. Well, I guess if you're Texas, you can say discipleship. This is a discipleship podcast that uses the truths of the sciences of psychology, sociology, neuroscience, and neuropsychology to bring clarification of the scriptures. The scriptures are truth and we help you understand those truths. God has not commanded us to change from our sinful nature without commands that are or with using commands that are unobtainable. We are wired to follow his commands and live the life of a devoted Christian. And most of all, to obey him. That is God's love language, obedience to his word. I have introduced the concept that God created five basic relationships and that by working on each one of these relationships, the individual, the couple, the parent, the child, and siblings, it will be it will help you get to the most or get the most out of living a devoted life to God. It will also help you discover the purposes of the family here on earth, including your Christian family. We have spent almost two years on the individual relationship with God. All previous episodes were devoted to the individual relationship with God. We have begun to move into the marital relationship. I discussed sex and the individual or single Christian during last month's episode. That was episode 31. I will now give a summary about being single and then introduce the marital relationship in its fullness. I will borrow some ideas here from a video that I watched on YouTube. Can you believe that? It helped, it helped me sum up some of the things I want to say about being single. The video is entitled Stay Single, Magic Will Happen, posted by Mentor. Now, I don't believe everything that it said, but there were some things in it I, I, I want to use. I will only share what I consider to be the biblical truths and things that are relevant to being a Christian from the video. Remember, from our previous teachings, Paul said it is better to be single than married in order to give more attention to your relationship with God. Being single offers more opportunities and time when you do not have the responsibilities of a spouse or children to discover what your calling is, and then to practice that calling. It will allow you to find a spouse that is more compatible when you understand who you are in God first. And that helps when you're single, have no other distractions. If you allow yourself to enjoy your singleness, God can shape you and mold you into what he designed you for in the first place. If you can learn to make God a priority when you are single, putting away all selfish desires and ways, it will be easier when you do find a spouse. It should also help you seek someone that is equally devoted to God, setting up an equally yoked situation. Now, being single can help you become the being God created you to be. Here are some of the things that can happen if you come to terms with being single and embrace the opportunity to let go and let God develop you. Number one, accept that being single isn't always a walk in the park, especially when movies and television shows seem to push the concept that you aren't truly complete until you found a significant other. 
You will be more focused when you start to treasure your freedom or newfound freedom. If you're being divorced, you will realize that taking time for yourself will show you what is most important in your life. Enjoying your single time will make what you want clearer and reveal which areas of your life you should build upon. Additionally, Studies show that experiencing something alone results in our brain forming a clearer and longer lasting memory. Number two, you'll be more active. Studies show that unmarried people are also more fit than their married or dating counterparts. Let yourself welcome being single and use the time to your benefit. You'll be more confident and in control when you do meet someone special. Number three, you will be more likely to have higher goals and aspirations. Making yourself the priority and becoming all that you can be in the Lord means you can't settle for less, especially when there is no one to distract you. By embracing your time, being single, you will be able to pursue your goals and work towards a complete, fulfilling future. Number four. You will be more creative. Spending time alone is also linked to an increase in creative thinking. Spending more time alone could lead you to solutions and projects you wouldn't have thought of otherwise. Number five, your schedule will be your own. Once you get past feeling lonely and and realize how wonderful being single is, you will become aware of the one of the best perks. Your schedule is now completely your own. No longer do you need to have the nights out approved, nor will long days at work get interrupted. Relax and get into loving your single life because nothing is quite as liberating and deciding every moment of your weekly schedule. Number six, you will likely save money. Dating is a great way to, uh, to say goodbye to all your hard-earned cash. When you're with someone, there's nothing more important than impressing them, including with your income. However, when the relationship fizzles, you realize how this tactic doesn't pay off. Not only are we more prone to spending when dating, married couples are more likely to have credit card debt than unmarried couples. So don't get depressed When you're eating cheap meals alone, it's really a form of investing in your future. Number seven, you will have more time for your family. Another thing you will realize once you learn to relish being single is now you have much more time for your family of origin, especially when it comes to older relatives. Time spent with them is truly precious. Make the most of your single time by reconnecting with family members in your life Those seniors in your family usually have a lot of wisdom and knowledge to pass on. So go get some of it. Number eight, you have more time for your friends once you start basking in your single glory. Uh, Let yourself reconnect with friends you may have neglected while being half of a couple. Studies also show that married people have much weaker social lives than those who are unmarried. Number nine, you'll find more interests. Enjoying your time being single will give you more time to consider new hobbies and interests. You can now freely explore activities that really make you uh, passionate. You can even have time to go to seminary or write that book that you've always wanted to write. Number 10, you'll be more aware of what you want. Ultimately, taking time to ourselves is an important ingredient Uh, in discovering what type of person is our ideal match or what career we can happily commit to. By delighting in your uninhibited life, you are more able to experience and thereby find out what works for you and what doesn't. Don't 
look at being single as a drawback since learning more about yourself and finding out what makes you tick are crucial in forming balanced, healthy relationships in the future. And my final thoughts on being single, when you can appreciate being single and use the time to strengthen your sense of self and understand why God created you, then you will understand what your purpose on earth is and the benefits will ripple in all areas of your life. Strengthen your relationships with God. Move into closer fellowship with him. Relationships are wonderful, but nothing beats loving and understanding exactly who you are in God. Single or not, being single can be awesome, though. While it can be a drag, third-wheeling and tendering your way through life, being single is overall a great experience. Not only does it let you have a little fun, but... It can be a great way to date the number one person in your life, yourself, as far as humans go. Once you get married, it is no longer just about you, especially when you have children. But being married can also be wonderful. So let's talk about marriage. For the past four episodes, we have been talking about marriage, but from the aspect of how you are going to prepare yourself for it. Many of us go straight from our family of origin into a marriage after only a couple of years of post-high school living, never having any experiences of living alone and taking care of responsibilities by ourselves. Some of us went into a marriage during high school. Some of you have been married for years, but not with God at the helm. I touted the benefits of being single, but I want you to know that if God is Lord of your marriage. It can be the most heaven-like experience concerning love and cooperation you will ever have, especially if both of you are committed Christians. But take it from someone that knows from firsthand experience. If God is not in your lives and marriage, it can be like hell on earth. If you were married before you became a Christian, God will come into your marriage and begin a new work in you, your spouse, and your marriage. You can enjoy the benefits just as much as a Christian couple newly married, maybe even more. You get to experience the transformation, see the results of a lot of prayer. You get to actually see God's transforming power firsthand. Here's what I see as the biggest benefit of being married to an equally committed Christian spouse, that is. The power of two, what I call synergism. Two plus two equals 10. The sum of you as a whole is greater than the sum of you as parts. In Luke 10, one through 12, Jesus sent out the 70 apostles two by two. Why? If you have ever witnessed like an evangelism by yourself or hung around a group of non-believers or belonged to a team that didn't consist of like-minded believers, then you know how difficult it can be to hold your ground and maintain your Christian character with all that outside pressure. Have you ever felt defeated, depressed, lonely, and craving for attention? In all these situations, when you have a loving Christian supportive spouse, or maybe just a like-minded friend in the case of the sent apostles, one supports the other and lifts their spirit by reminding them who they are and who they belong to. If the disciples needed that type of support, then it can be assumed that we do also. Sometimes when you are being attacked by the enemy, you need time to clear your head and get your thoughts together. Having a second person around you can give you that opportunity. Just sitting around con- uh, conversing will strengthen, your sp- strengthen you spiritually. Iron sharpens iron. You can bounce things off each other and help clarify things that seem to be causing confusion. 
after a while, you two just might become best friends. Well, how about that? Well, being single is a great opportunity to hone your talents, giftings, and familial relationships. Now, imagine getting married to someone who also took full advantage of their singleness and is now ready to move into the marriage covenant. It truly is the best case scenario for two single people looking to get married, those who have followed the correct path. The problem is most of us didn't and don't do it that way. As much as singleness can help you grow into the man or woman God called you to be, I believe God still wants most of us to get married. There are several reasons I believe this, none more than his initial commands for us to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the every living thing that moves on the earth. None of these commands can be obtained without both sexes and plenty of people. In order to multiply, you have to have babies. And to fill the earth and subdue it takes many people of God. One person cannot do it. And in order to learn to work together in unity, we have to experience living with family and living and adapting to others outside the family. That is why God said it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. He wasn't lonely. He had everyday interaction with God. If he was lonely, then why are we trying to go to heaven at all? Because we're still going to be lonely. On his own, Adam could not learn to live and interact with others, to learn to consider another's feelings and learn to be humble. And most of all, he couldn't learn to be devoted to God by giving up his own free will and doing the will of God. And after sin entered the world, man now has to learn to rely on God and the Trinity to live a victorious life. That is where marriage comes into play. Marriage is not about us. Even secular marriages will not work if the individual uh, doesn't learn to put the marriage institution or family above themselves. Selfishness will destroy a marriage. You need to get rid of that baggage, and hopefully while you're still single. Now, many of you have been married many years like me. Some of you were not even Christians when you got married. That's okay. You just have to do it the hard way now. I just hope your spouse is on board to to committing to a godly marriage and family. I really did not understand myself what my purpose was, my reason for being created until about 20 years ago. When I was approximately 46 years old, I, I did not start to operate in my calling until after another 14 years after that. But I was being groomed by God all along. Every experience I had was part of who I would become. So get ready for transformation. God has called you for a purpose and will use all of your experiences to lead you into your calling. The closer you are to God, the more likely you are to find the best fitting spouse. You should look for someone as mature or as close to it as possible as you are in the Lord. Someone that believes like you, enjoys similar eating habits, shares similar health goals, similar goals and aspirations about serving the Lord, and similar ideas about raising children. You don't need to be exactly alike. If, if both of you have different gifts, that is okay, just as long as you both understand that and you allow the Lord to use your spouse as much as he uses you. All couples learn that a true acceptance of their own and each other's individuality and separateness is the only foundation upon which a marriage can be based and real love can grow. There are two of you. God bless this. Two of you. There's two of you here grooming. There can be no jealousy from either of you. That is where you have to allow God to move in the marriage and why it's important to wait to have children. It 
That's the best way. There are some tricky things that need to be navigated before you introduce children into the equation. But we know some of you already have children. You just become Christians. We're going to talk about that later, too. If you are already married and just now trying to make it as a Christian couple, there will be extra hurdles to navigate on your journey. The way your marriage worked or didn't work will need to be changed so that God is at the center of it. And this includes the way you are raising your children, the personality traits and the character you should have learned. Well, now have to be learned as a married couple, as well as having to learn how to change the direction of your marriage and family. You may experience pushback from a spouse or from your children. Many individuals experience difficulty doing this and give in to the resistance to the change. Do not do this. You will be a, it will be a battle, but God will bring you the victory if you persevere. The most difficult thing to get across to someone that is engaged to be married is the fact that your soon-to-be spouse is not your number one priority. God is, and he must remain number one as long as you live. He chose you, created you for a purpose, and has a plan for your life, even when you get married. I have said it before, and I will say it again. Your presence on earth is not about doing what you want to do. It is about what God is going to do through you if you surrender your will to him. When we fall in love, most of us put God on the back burner and put our spouse on a pedestal. Sometimes they become our idol, which, of course, is idolatry. You put the one who made you, God, behind uh, his answer to you for a spouse. In other words, he provided you a spouse, but now since he gave it to you, you move him to the back burner. Does that really make sense? It is amazing what we do to please our loved one, even change our beliefs and character. Well, I know I did, and I have counseled many others that did it, and I have heard stories from acquaintances that did it. That feeling of love and being loved is so powerful that it can stop us on a dime and make us give up all that we have been taught just to try to keep it. Sometimes the enemy sends diversions like this. Sometimes you just fail the trial. And most of the time when this happens, it is not love at all. It is infatuation. What greater way for Satan to take you off the path God has for you? And to use your emotions, surely something so strong has to be right, right? Let me quote from Dr. Scott Peck, MD, Christian psychiatrist, in his book, The Road Less Traveled. To serve as effectively as it does to trap us into marriage, the experience of falling in love probably must have as must have as one of its characteristics the illusion that the experience will last forever. This illusion is fostered in our culture by the commonly held myth of romantic love, which has its origins in our favorite childhood fairy tales, wherein the prince and princess, once united, live happily forever after. The myth of romantic love tells us, in effect, that for every young man in the world, there is a young woman who has meant, who was meant for him, and vice versa. Moreover, the myth implies that there is only one man meant for a woman and only one woman for a man, and this has been predetermined in the stars. 
When we meet the person for whom we are intended, recognition comes through the fact that we fall in love. We have met the person for whom all the heavens intended us, and since the match is perfect, we will then be able to satisfy all of each other's needs forever and ever, and therefore live happily forever after, in perfect union and harmony. Should it come to pass, however, that we do not satisfy or meet all of each other's needs and friction arises and we fall out of love, then it is clear that a dreadful mistake was made. We misread the stars. We did not hook up with our one and only perfect match. What we thought was love was not real or true love and nothing can be done about the situation except to live unhappily ever after or get divorced. Now, Dr. Peck and I both agree that the myth of romantic love is a dreadful lie. How would we look at love if there were no Hollywood movies about love, if there were no songs about love, no poems, and especially no bachelorette or bachelor shows? It would be looked at as a very practical and necessary action. Rest assured, we still have our hormones that guide us to the opposite sex in order to ensure the survival of the species they would put it. But like Dr. Peck also says, I, he says, I weep in my heart almost daily for the ghastly confusion and suffering that this myth fosters. Millions of people waste vast amounts of energy desperately and futilely attempting to make the reality of their lives conform to the unreality of the myth. Now I'm going to say something that may make some of you stop listening to me, but if you pray about it and study it in the Bible, I believe you will agree. Let me begin by reminding you that marriage is a human institution. It was made and designed by God in order to get people to learn to love and put others above themselves after you have God's as the highest priority in your life. It teaches you to rely on God work with others, pray with others, to give to of yourself, to learn to be humble, to learn unconditionally, uh, love unconditionally, excuse me, to put into practice all those things you learned as a Christian, then to eventually teach everything you have learned to your children. All that knowledge and experience you will never lose. However, after your life on earth, you will no longer be married or desire to be married ever again. We will be like the angels, according to Matthew twenty two thirty. There's no marriage given in marriage in heaven. That training will be over for good. You will not spend eternity with your spouse. You will not be rejoined to them at all. Each one of us will be made complete in our spiritual entities. We will be recognizable to others, but will no longer have the desires of our human bodies. Marriage is a temporary human institution. We will all become the bride of Christ, not to anyone else. And that is in 2 Corinthians 11, 2 and 3. We will have the direct love and attention of our Lord, our God, and the Holy Spirit. Everything you learned here on earth and the fruit you produced here will determine your reward in heaven. God will complete you and the human phase of your life will be over. It will be time to put all of your training to work for whatever he has in store for you in heaven. But we are here on earth, so how do we make the most of this earthly institution called marriage? 
How do we make it work? What is it all about? Why should I get married? How do I bring glory to God through marriage? What is the secret to staying married as a happily married couple? There are so many questions to answer about marriage, and that is what we will do. Next month, we hit the road and start answering these and more questions about the wonderful institution of marriage. Blessings. Thank you for listening to today's teaching. If you would like more information about our podcast and subject matter, or if you would like to leave a comment, go to GodsLoveLanguage.com or you may email Joe at jnlow at GodsLoveLanguage.com. 